you know, before I left, um, it was quite bizarre. I had a conversation with Andrew about whether it was possible for me to lead worship via Skype. And at the time, that seemed like quite a ridiculous conversation that we had. We both laughed. But right now, it's not seeming quite so far-fetched. So greetings to you all from Sheffield. I can't believe that it's been five weeks since I left. But I think for all of us, five weeks is feeling like a lifetime as we're living through one of those great defining events of world history, I think. We're going to get straight into Daniel in a minute. So if you want to turn to Daniel, Daniel chapter one on your devices, um, I just want to pray quickly following on from what Josh said and say, Lord, will you please help us now as we come to your word? May we take from this word that, that comes tonight what you're saying to each one of us. Lord, we just ask that you would be present. Even though we are so far apart on this on this world, we know that you are the God that sees us, that you are the God that is with us. You are the God that makes us one. And we pray that this evening we would encounter you and we, you would, we would hear you speaking to us as we read together and as we look at this word together. Amen. So uh, this word comes from some thoughts I had actually about a year ago when I was prepping for uh, the climate change series that the session that I did with you. And I was thinking about how the world in the 2020s is going to go through rapid change, uh, whether you're talking about political change because of, say, China becoming more ascendant over the USA, or whether you're talking about climate change changing the way that we all live, whether you're talking about inequalities and changes within South Africa because of um, yeah, crime and poverty and inequality and what those are going to do over the coming years. I did not foresee a global pandemic. Um, <laughs> so uh, these thoughts sort of came from this idea of what does the Bible have to say about being God's people in a changing world? And so we're going to read from Daniel chapter one. But before we read from Daniel, I just want to say that this is I don't want you to take away from this that Daniel was a good guy, so why can't we all just be like Daniel and feel shamed by the fact that Daniel was one of these super spiritual guys and, and we can't measure up to that? Because this is not meant to be a sort of Facebook picture of how Daniel's life was perfect and all together and can't we just aspire to be like him? I'm hoping that we can look and see how and maybe a little bit of why Daniel responded the way he did to the situation that he faced. So let's read together. And I think uh, this... Uh, so we're reading from Jan Daniel chapter one. We're just going to read the first couple of verses and then I'll speak about them. Then we'll read a few more verses and I'll speak a bit more about those as well. So Daniel chapter one from verse one says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now, prophets like Jeremiah had been warning that this could happen and that this would, in fact, happen. But the land of Judah and its leaders hadn't listened. They thought nothing like this would ever happen to them. And the first couple of verses describe the first phase of the fall of Judah, where King Nebuchadnezzar, this uh, evil king of Babylon comes and captures, uh, captures uh, some of the sacred things from the temple of God. Now, I just want to say right up front that I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I do not believe that COVID-19 is a punishment from God. Um, I do think it's probably a consequence of the way that we interact with the natural world. And there is some evidence that 
the way this virus has been passed on to people is probably due to the fact that we have um, taken away and gone into some of the natural habitats of creatures. And um, the virus has probably crossed a couple of different creature barriers before coming into humans. Um, this virus is causing devastation. And like most crises, the consequences of a pandemic like this are felt by both the so-called innocents and the so-called guilty, the young and the old, the rich and the poor. But we don't all experience them equally. Those advanced in years or those with underlying health conditions are the most vulnerable health-wise. The economic and health consequences for the poor are also worse. But we are all affected in some way. And just like that, this devastation of Judah was affecting the whole nation, but not everyone was equally affected. Daniel is the story of one very privileged and talented young man and how this invasion affected him. And it's also a story of how God is faithful. So we're going to carry on reading now from verse three, which uh, let's see. So then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his staff, to bring to the palace some of the other young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who've been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They would be to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. So Daniel is one of these young men. Um, these are the first wave of captives that have been taken uh, from Judah to Babylon. Slaves, actually. Although they are privileged nobles, they are smart guys, they are good looking guys, they are strong guys. Uh, they are effectively slaves because they have no choice about where they live or what they do. But they're also good candidates for intellectual service to their new king. They have young, agile minds, able to be retrained in the ways of Babylon, its culture, its language, its literature. And so you could call them the lucky ones. So let's read about who some of these people are. So from verse six, it says, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach and Azariah was called Abednego. So after all, these guys, they were not um, starving. They were treated well, um, but they were slaves. And when I read this passage in the context of South Africa, I find it very difficult because I think about our modern history in which African slaves suffered harshly under their colonial masters. And the huge economic disparities that we see today are a legacy of some of those things that were done in the name of colonization. I just want to point out, though, that Daniel and his friends are the survivors. They, in one sense, are the lucky ones because they have lived while many others have died during the invasion, uh, the siege, the besieging of uh, Jerusalem would have meant basically that a lot of the people in Jerusalem would have been starved or starving, had bad water, possibly died from the sword or from starvation or from illness or sickness. And um, they would have been food insecure. Um, Daniel and his friends are not food insecure. They are in the palace. They are, are, have started their three year university degree. However, we all need and crave more than just food and water. So 
let's remember they've gone through a traumatic event. They've been taken, snatched out of Judah, away from everything they've known, everyone they've ever loved. Their identities are potentially shattered. They've been given new names. They couldn't use their old ones. One of the brutal things about apartheid and colonization was how it separated families and shattered relationships and broke down cultural identities of people. And I think under lockdown, we're feeling a little bit of our identities being shook a little bit. Uh, are we university students anymore if we're sitting at home? Uh, what does it mean to go to work? Some of us don't have work anymore. Uh, what does it mean about our future? Uh, a lot of us, I take our identity from how we relate to people and what jobs we do and what our future is going to look like and what we're good at. And in a sense, a lot of that is being shaken at the moment as we're sitting in a lockdown situation. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to know um, what it means for every individual person. It means something different. But for now, let's just stick with chapter one and look at how is... Um, how is Daniel responding to the end of the world as he knows it? Uh, so we're going to carry on reading from verse 8. So Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I am afraid that the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendants agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So we're going to look at three things that Daniel does in this situation that he finds himself in. Um, three ways, in effect, that Daniel responds as one of the people of God. So the first thing that we see is that Daniel fully engaged with his new situation. So he read and he learned the secular literature and languages and laws. He didn't resist doing the things that the authorities said, as long as it didn't contradict God's law. Even the chief of staff was impressed by Daniel. So perhaps some of our application is not to deny the new reality that we face ourselves, that we're faced with, is staying at home, being under lockdown, but to critically engage, to reflect upon what it means for us. So some of you will know that um, I came, uh, came here, I was, um, I got very, well, I'm not very sick, I got sick. Um, I came down with possible COVID-19 symptoms within a few days of arrival in the UK. Now, I haven't been tested, so it's not really possible to say for sure whether I had it or not. But I quarantined myself in the bedroom for seven days, only leaving to go to the bathroom. Meals were brought to the door. I was completely on my own, trying to protect the family from catching the virus. Now, I made a full recovery 
and no one else came down with symptoms. So you could say, in a sense, the story has a happy ending. But during that time, my battle was as much mental and spiritual as it was physical. Um, I was doom scrolling. That's a new word for our COVID days. So if you haven't heard of doom scrolling, it's where you're going through the news constantly looking at what's happening, how many people are dying, what's happening where, what are they saying about this? And then I was rolling over on the bed and I was feeling quite depressed and quite alone, trying to get my head around what is happening in the world. Part of it was being physically separated from my family. But some of it was also, I just made this new transition. Um, I could count on one hand the number of people in Sheffield that I knew. Um, my thoughts would turn to Cape Town and I would think about the friends who I love like family that I'd left behind. No church here, everything shut down. PBC was feeling very far away. And then the third day of my quarantine was a Sunday. And that morning I forced myself to watch a message online. Um, and I felt very lifted up. The word was spoken was from, chapters, from one of the chapters in Jeremiah, which was also on this topic of exile. And it was exactly what I needed at the time. And then that evening I came on and I joined you guys for Malcolm's message. I was still feeling physically quite weak, but my spirits had grown much stronger and my heart was freed from that misery. My faith, in effect, was renewed. And um, just thinking about that experience for me is something that brings me close to tears. And I just don't know how people without God can find any comforts in these days. Now, that might sound like a bit of a digression. Why am I telling you this? Well, <laughs> I suppose I want you to know that I'm not some sign-waving super saint who's better than you. Um, but more importantly, I want you to know that you don't need to pretend to be okay. Um, I'm incredibly privileged. I have a good job. I can work from home. I've recovered from whatever was wrong with me, and no one in this family got sick from it. Yet I still felt deeply troubled and upset. And you might be okay, and it's definitely true that others have got it far, far worse than you, or at least far, far worse than I do. Uh, but you're not, you're not a snowflake for being upset. The whole world is an uncertain place right now. You need to process those emotions with God honestly and turn to him. And that's a part of prayer. And when you've been honest with God and with yourself, the Spirit has a wonderful way of turning your eyes off yourself and onto him and towards the needs of others. And later in the book of Daniel, if you were to read on from chapter one, you would read that prayer was a, a constant experience, a constant part of Daniel's day. He had regular prayer times set apart, which he gave priority to in his diary. So engaging with our situation means reading the news. It means reading God's word. It means thinking and meditating on the inequalities that are being magnified by the current crisis. It means asking God how he wants us to be his kingdom people in our different contexts. And that means doing what he says. And that takes us to the second point um, on how Daniel responded to his situation. And the second thing that we see is that Daniel did not participate in behaviors that contradicted his identity and his understanding of God's laws. Now, this is not about whether or not you should have a conscience about eating a bacon sandwich or having a beer for lunch or about whether vegetarianism is a good idea or about being a fussy eater in a foreign land. See, the food being offered to Daniel was probably associated with idol worship. And while Daniel was prepared to engage in civic life and to do his new studies and, and be a part of his new situation to the point where the guy looking after him was quite impressed with, with him as a person, he wasn't going to compromise his faith. 
He was going to continue doing the things that he believed God wanted him to do, such as prayer, which you'll read on and see gets him into trouble later in his life, and not participating in things that God had spoken against, such as idolatry. And if you look at, at this refusal to eat the food from the king's table, it's got much more to do with the fact that that food was most likely offered to idols than it has to do with the exact contents of the menu. So you might be thinking, well, I'm not idolatrous. I'm not bowing down to some wooden idol or whatever. So this doesn't apply to me. Um, but I would say that idolatry is putting anything in God's place in your life. It's trusting or valuing anything or anyone more than God, whether that's our health, which we're all worried about at the moment, or that of our family, which we're also all concerned about, or our bank balance, which for many of us is a problem right now, or our sense of security, which I think has been shaken for all of us. To put God first requires that we have a godly sense of perspective, a strong identity in Christ. Daniel had this strong sense of his identity as being part of God's people. We have the Holy Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, assuring us of our place in Christ. And this identity and perspective means that we don't give in to fear. Fear paralyzes our love. It paralyzes our generosity. It affects our empathy and our kindness. It looks like this endless and hopeless doom scrolling through the news hour after hour reading about the coronavirus. I would encourage you to limit that if you can. But perfect love, it casts out all fear. Putting God first also means doing what God would have us do. And I've been watching some of the broadcasts and I've seen how Craig has encouraged each of us to use this as an opportunity to show love in practical ways in support of those in need, and whether those are the needs of the PBC family or our connected sister organizations or some other organization in your community. And he pointed us to the description of the early church in Acts. And I'd encourage you to give and to do those things if you are able to. Um, and in that way, you will join thousands of Christians throughout church history, imperfect believers just like us, who have given, who have sacrificed often their own lives uh, for the sake of others. So what you're looking at there um, is a painting of Christians caring for the sick and dying during the plague of Cyrene in about 250 AD. And uh, the church historian Eusebius describes this Christian response, which was the total opposite of what the rest of the Romans were doing at the time. And he describes it like this. And he says, most of our brethren showed love and loyalty and not sparing themselves while helping one another tending to the sick with no thought of danger and gladly departing this life with them after becoming infected with their disease. Many who nursed others to health died themselves, thus transferring their death to themselves. The best of our own brothers lost their lives in this way, some presbyters, deacons and laymen, a form of death based on strong faith and piety that seems in every way equal to martyrdom. Now, I'm not encouraging martyrdom as such, um, I'm not suggesting that you should be reckless and disobey government guidelines on staying at home or anything. But what I am saying is that there is um, a church witness in which we identify as part of Christ's body by doing the things that Jesus did. And one of the things that Jesus did was to help the sick. One of the things that Jesus did was to comfort those who were mourning. 
and he calls us to do the same things. And if you're interested at all in learning more about church history, a little devotion that you could try this week, if you go to that URL, you'll see it's quite interesting that it's from 2019. I think it's from May 2019. And you'll see if you go to the page, you'll see that image that I've just shown you now. Um, But you'll also find some questions and a few more quotes about what the Christians did during those times. And it actually asks this question. If we had an epidemic now like the plague, how would we respond? Um, So it might be if you're interested, if you're looking for some devotional material to do, it's not hard and heavy reading. It's just a few simple questions to reflect upon. I would encourage you to try that website out this week. So the generosity and kindness of those Christians to other people is impossible, was impossible for Roman society to understand, but it left an indelible impression upon them. When we care for the sick, when we rescue the abandoned and care for orphans, then we we show the witness of who Jesus is in our lives. And when we're empowered by God's spirit for service in these uncertain times, we experience something of what it is like to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus in really, really practical ways. So that is one way in which we can be uh, like Daniel in that we can do things which are consistent with our identity in Christ. But we need to do that from knowing who we are in Jesus. And so we come to this third point where we see that Daniel obeyed God and he trusted God with the outcomes. There. Now, what actually happened if we keep reading from verse 15? And it says, at the end of the 10 days, so Daniel had said, if you remember but way back before I digressed, Daniel had said to the keeper, he said, test us for 10 days. Effectively, he was doing a scientific experiment and said, see, you'll see that we are no worse off. So at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. And God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of the king of Cyrus. So this is in danger of turning into a bit of a cheesy story um, about how God will reward you financially if you just stay strong now. And I want to say I cannot bring myself to interpret this text that way. In this case, it does seem that God honoured their ethical choices by blessing them with health and ability. And that God uses these four young men to make himself known to the Babylonian court. But this was not something that was guaranteed. You see, many who have been faithful Christian witnesses have been tortured and martyred or have died from disease or the consequences of poverty. You see, sometimes the reward is only in the next life. But what we do know is that God is near to the brokenhearted and to those who suffer. 
And that God is calling us to obey and leave, leave the results up to him. Whether they result in our good fortune or not, his spirit will enable us to do the good works that he puts before us. And we must keep in mind always that we live on the other side of the cross, that God has demonstrated his love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've just celebrated Easter. This is right in our minds at the moment. Bevan talked to us about death and some of the fear of death that we have and how the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection is Jesus, how that can take away that fear. And love casts out that fear and God is love. So we remember that God loves us and that in response, in response to that, the spirit fills us with his power to love other people in the way that he would have us love them. So I would say to you, in this difficult time, we are still the people of God. In changing times, God is still a certain and sure and faithful God. So stay inside. We're all in lockdown situations. Keep your relationships going. Provide practical help where you're able to. You never know. God might just use this time to help you see the world the way he sees it, to reorder your priorities if you'll let him. And when lockdown ends, this post-COVID world will need to be rebuilt. So let's use our voices, our prayers, our actions to build a better one, one aligned with God's kingdom realities. And I'm not sure what that looks like in Pinelands or Manenberg or Thornton, or Hermanus, or Sheffield, or wherever you are. But I do believe that God invites us to dream with him about such a thing. And if you keep reading in Daniel, you'll see that later in the book, Daniel has these incredible dreams and visions that are, are difficult for people to understand and interpret, and certainly Daniel didn't know what they meant either. So Daniel's life was never the same after this exile. His whole world was shifted upside down. He was given a new name, a new job, a new country, a new language to speak, a new job to do. But as his identity as part of God's people was not shaken by the circumstances through which he lived. And as we are living through this pandemic that's changing the world, it hasn't changed who God is and it doesn't change who we are in him. And as we connect with God and obey his leading, I believe that we will experience the truth of that in our own lives, the way that Daniel did and wrote it down for us to see many thousands of years later. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, that will have landed in different ways for each one of us. And I just ask now that by your spirit, we would hold on to the words of your truth um, that we need to hear now, that, that your spirit can use to do transforming work in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes. If we need comfort, Lord, be that comforting God. If we need to be challenged a bit, be the challenging God who leads us forward. We thank you that we are in you and that you love us and that we are in your hands. And we ask that your kingdom would come on earth as it does in heaven. Amen.